You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 462, ready, steady, go for the music quiz, personality DJs going round in circles and the problem with Public Image Limited. That's all coming up after the tears and refugee. of the decades-long ups and downs of Brett Anderson and Bernard Butler. This part of the story encompasses the reunification of Butler and Anderson in the mid-2000s and the album Here Come the Tears uh, from the spring of 2005 and reaching number nine on the UK singles chart, The Tears and Refugees. I really like the tears. I, I think it's a it's a lovely kind of a it was it was a very unexpected second act, wasn't it? But it was it was very enjoyable. I thought that was a great album. I'm surprised they didn't do more, or that it wasn't more successful. Really, I'm not really sure kind of what happened there, but still. No, there was just one one album, and then I think Bernard Butler went off to do um, 
lots of producing and then Brett yes, Anderson absolutely. back with a, Suede again. Yeah. Great. And yeah, Bernard Butler is an excellent producer. Mm. His, um, his, the production work that he does on various things are lovely. I think it was him that produced the first Duffy album that was so good. So, mm. so yeah, it's, it's interesting. But um, I wonder if there'd been more fanfare, if they might have been moved to do another one. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. Hello and thanks for joining us for the Parish Council podcast. It's episode 462. I'm Terence Stackham, and here she is, the new forces sweetheart. It's Juliet Harris. <laughs> yes, I think I'm probably a bit pinko in many ways for most of our uh, most of our brave people. But anyway, yeah, I am. Um, I, I very much enjoyed the fly pass for Dame Vera Lynn. I thought that was that was very appropriately done, and I'm very glad that she managed to stick on for the D-Day anniversary. Mm. I think that was that was lovely. So, um, so yes, hello everyone. I hope that you're well and that everything is as well as it can be. Now, the quiz this week is British television music shows through the ages. Mm. And I'm going to play you the listener and you the Juliet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hello there. Um, Hello. uh, uh, Clips clips from five themes, intros, if you will, from UK TV music shows from the 1950s to the 1980s. Now, you you heard 1950s. So if you're if you're young, like Juliet, I've hey, also kind of you, thanks. <laughs> I've also added some dialogue to three of them to yeah. help you find the answers. You won't need help with two of them. Okay. So thank you. I think three from five is very good. Okay. Four is superstar level, five is music genius. So now they are in chronological order uh, to help, um, based on wh- when each episode first aired. So five clips, five music TV shows. Let's meet the jury we have with us this session. Well, hi there. This is Keith Fordyce welcoming you to a very special edition. What we have dug up from the the inner sanctums. What is what, how strange to hear that voice again at the end there after all the years if you if you can identify it. So, are you going to be three very good, four superstar level? I'll help you if you need it, or five music genius? What do you think? I think I can get to very good at least. Oh, so, oh, so oh. Um, Number one with the with a little clue at the end. Oh, well, I was struggling a bit. I'm going to guess at the six five special, but I could be wrong. You're 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 wrong. I'll give you a clue what the what the man said. He said, and on our jury this week. Ah, jukebox jury. Jukebox jury. Um, I'm going to give you half a point oh, for that because it, 
reasonable, it's yeah. Probably that you didn't hear the audio, you see, because it, it, it said um, very no, gently. Yeah, uh, I did hey, struggle with that. Yeah. Started in 1959. I was around for it in the 1960s, and it felt really old fashioned from the word go because the presenter, David Jacobs, in a suit and tie, and mm-hmm. few, four jury members voting records whether records were a hit or a miss. One of the um, most appearances by uh, jurors in the first five or so years uh, was Eric Sykes. So that gives you some idea of the up-to-dateness of it all. Never knew. Here's the thing, though, Jules. It livened up, Jukebox Jury livened up when the Beatles made up the jury in December 1963. 23 million people tuned in. That's crazy. That That's like half the country. That's mad. Yeah, absolutely. Number two. I think that's Ready, Steady, Go. It's Ready, Steady, Go. That was Keith Fordyce introducing it. The weekend starts here. That was their slogan. And um, it ran from 1963 to the end of 1966. Considered very cool, despite 20-year-old Kathy McGowan Mm. having suit-and-tied Keith Fordyce as a co-host. And um, what I really remember about Ready, Steady, Go is that they really hit their stride with the mod era in 64 to 66. And they had the Who on and uh, the Kinks and the Small Faces. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really good. I mean, I so I think regular listeners might recall that I'm my myself and my parents we're all quite big fans of the Manfreds. Mm. Basically, Manfred Man without Manfred Man that still tour. Having seen them four times, they were not dissimilar set each time. Yeah, I feel yeah. that I might have reached the end of the road of seeing them. Having said that, they always have an excellent a sort of cast of of star sort of support artists slash guests. And last time we had Georgie Fame, who was magnificent. Was so it's worth yeah. going to see him. I've seen Alan Price with them. I've seen Cliff Bennett and the Rabble Rousers. I've seen Maggie Bell. They get amazing people with them. But um, but what they, the way that they start the show shows is they start with archive footage on the video and Paul Jones does you know the the beginning kind of spiel for the program and then they burst into 54321 and it's a great way to start the show I would I, people haven't seen them and if we get to a stage where we can see live music again then I would recommend them because Paul Jones still has a grand voice as does Mike Darbo I mean any band that has those two in it and Tom McGuinness playing bass is is so and Mike Hugg still playing keyboards is a is it's a really great lineup and it's a good evening out Number three is a shoe-in for you. Yeah, Top of the Pops. Top of the Pops. January 1964 to July 2006. Their slogan was, it's number one, it's Top of the Pops. It is. And I don't know if you might know this, you, you might be able to recall it, but there was, in the 90s, they went through a phase of having guest presenters oh. where, you know, celebs of the day, occasionally sort of you know regrettable people like Dennis Pennis would would host but they had Jarvis Cocker host once and at the end when they introduced the band that was number one he just looked at the camera and said take that ah top of the pops and (laughs) and after that every presenter after him was instructed to finish with whoever it is ah top of the pops or is top of the pops so he did change old history did Jarv? I think another easy peasy one if I'm not uh, taking liberties is number four is it the old grey whistle test? It's the old grey whistle test. 1971 to 1988. Commissioned jewels by the director of programmes at the BBC at the time, David Attenborough. I was going to say that. Yes, he had a good old nose, didn't he, Dave? So, uh, so yes. The will, lo- you get, will you get number five? No, I think it could be one of two, I must admit. I'll uh, give it to you. I'll give it to you because it's not really, you know, you were you were three years old I'm when it stopped. Going, I'm, oh, when it stopped, did you say? Yeah. Oh, well, in which case, I'm going to say the tube. It is the tube. What was your other one? 
the hitman and her i wondered uh, right. maybe that but i i have i was four when the hitman and her started and i when it ended but that I, was paula yates at the end there doing yes, the intro I, and when you said it was funny to hear her again yeah. i either be paula yates or michaela strachan and i didn't think it was michaela strachan so so yes i i wondered if it was the tube uh jules holland's autobiography is worth a read actually i think it's called barefaced lies and boogie woogie boats it's quite old now i don't know if there's been an updated version it came out a few years ago it's one of those things that people that don't really know what to what to get people for christmas someone but a relative bought it for me because my mum told me that i liked jules holland and it's actually really quite good he's quite honest for an autobiography but there's a various reminisces of um of uh paulie yates and 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 about being on the tube and he said that uh that, that they had they stopped them doing it live at one point because um they had a bit where they would cut to them in in between it's continuity between programs they would kind of trail it half an hour or so beforehand and they'd go ah and lucky but but lucky does with, with uh, his show now ah here we are in the studio and we're back here in half an hour's time with x y and z and unfortunately as he put it during that insert somebody's snazzy new bo- uh, keyboard made a noise in the background unexpectedly and unfortunately the floor manager was heard loudly to shout for f's sake at five o'clock in the afternoon on channel four so i think that it wasn't live towards the end because of that and it lost something as a result 1982 to 1987 the tube produced up in newcastle by tyne tees and uh, the jam headlined the first show in 1982 there's also an interesting story in jules holland's autobiography and i i tweeted a a, a screenshot of the page on twitter once and it, it went a bit mad over paulie yates uh, you say it's filmed in tyne tees and that is in, in, in up in newcastle because it is relevant that the the sound engineers are employed by one well, the camera crew employed by tyne tees and at one point they threatened a stage one strike because they didn't like paulie yates's language because she used to swear all the time and in the end they took them to one side whoever it was and said your big burly camera broke do you think you not look a bit silly that you're that you're complaining to be offended by this young woman and then of course they they were persuaded to go back and then of course when they when they brought back in when them in bow uh, in the studio paulie yates went are you happy now you great big bunch of and yeah, yeah needless to say swore swore badly but no it's 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 i'm sorry not to have been around properly for it really because for all that it was a bit i mean it, it was, was thrilling bit, it was thrilling yeah, to watch on a friday evening yeah absolutely i bet it was Four and a half out of five, which puts you halfway between superstar and music genius, which is not a bad place to be. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll take that. That is, you know, that is considerably above where I am in my actual life. So that's fine by me. Jules and the listener. Bonus questions from oh, these like very these. shows. This is a new development. I'm enjoying this very much. You're evolving, Terence. I like it. <laughs> Never stay still. Never stand still. That's. Oh, that, that, I've always felt that you were a pioneer, Terence. Always. So- Always searching for gold on another plane. First question is multiple choice. Oh, right. Okay. Who has appeared most times on Top of the Pops out of these four artists or groups? So which of these four has appeared the most times on Top of the Pops? Shawadi Wadi, The Rolling Stones, Gene Pitney or The Beatles? Who, out of those four, which of them has appeared the most times on Top of the Pops? Shawadiwadi, Rolling Stones, Gene Pitney, The Beatles. I'm going to, this is a bit of a guess. I'm going to say The Rolling Stones. It was Shawadiwadi. Oh, but you were yeah. nearly right, and that I'll tell you why. The, it was at the back of my mind, and I and I thought, mm, no, I will stick with The Rolling Stones. Why was it Shawadiwadi? Well, the order that I read them out in is the order that they appeared most times. So Shawadiwadi appeared on Top of the Pops 37 times. 
Wow. The Rolling Stones 36. That's why you were so close. So, right. you know, that's yeah, pretty yeah. good. Gene yeah. Pitney 29 times. The Beatles 28 times. Isn't that uh, unexpected? It is slightly unexpected, though I suspect wasn't didn't they have a video for was it strawberry fields they had a video for and penny lane that was very early video footage i wonder if that was showed instead now this is this is a tricky question but i'm going to i was going to tell you who this is but i'm going to ask you who is the performer it's a single artist who has appeared most times think of someone with an incredibly long career over decades cliff richard correct excellent 113 one, oh, one, wow. three times. Oh, because the thing about him is, like you say, it's the length of the career. And if you think he was still, I mean, I, I, he, he stopped even to, toward the end of the run. They stopped having him on. Him on. But, you know, the, the, the that ridiculous millennium prayer thing that was number one, he was still on to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 113 times. Wow. Somebody said, uh, no, uh, number 11, Cliff Richard. Um, mm. I think you'll find it easy to give me three out of the next category. So I'm going to ask you to give me four presenters of the nine who presented the old grey whistle test. Oh, my God. Um, if you need it, you'll get there. Very quiet uh, fellow. Welcome Bob, to... But whispering, yeah. my, my people, whispering Bob Harris, um, did Rick Wakeman used to present it? Nope. Um, we may be at the end of my old grey whistle. Okay. Um, think of think of the Word magazine. Um, Hepworth. And who else from the Word magazine? Oh, Mark Ellen. So that's three. So I'm expecting to get three. Now the fourth. What about, um, what about Annie Nightingale? Yeah, that was the one I thought you'd get. There you go. There's your four. Oh, Annie Nightingale. Interesting. The full lineup from um in chronological order: Richard Williams. You, you, from now from your guardian the guardian uh, yes of course richard williams ian whitcomb bob harris annie nightingale andy kershaw oh, of course. david hepworth mark ellen richard skinner and roe newton mm, you see i i have i i had a friend that i used to drink at the pub with that that lent me his old gray whistle test dvds but most of those were bob harris centered i was and maybe annie nightingale i did the, the thought did the andy kershaw thing's interesting the thought the thought did cross of my mind that john peel might have presented it at some point but apparently not again way before your time so you did brilliantly to get there now the third and last question Mm. i was very fearful when you were talking about the tube that you oh sorry when when you were talking about the tube i was very fearful that you were going to answer this question before i asked it but questions aren't they though not three We've had we've had the we've had the the which of these appeared the most we've had who we've had which side oh was the Cliff Richard a supplementary question yeah that was supplementary oh wow yeah, I, that I, was just I, a supplementary I was as, as I said I was going to tell you who it was but I thought I'd ask you I see to, to ah. your powers and we, you you did brilliantly so this is the official question yeah. three yeah so official question hmm. number three mm-hmm. why was the tube uh, TV program Taken off the air for three weeks in January 1987. Was there a strike? Was there like a camera crew strike or something? It, you, you almost you, you you painted the picture for the answer to this with your descriptions earlier. So I'm going to give you half a point anyway because you 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 painted why mm. this happened. Jules Holland, probably now on his way to a knighthood and firmly on part of the establishment, did a live trailer 
for uh, that yeah. evening show on children's TV and said at the end oh, of the trailer. TVFers, yes. Yes. For this now. Be there or be ungroovy, effers. Oh dear, yes. The absolutely. world went mad. It was like the sex pistols <laughs> on Bill Grundy. Everybody oh, did the God, newspapers yeah. went berserk. And uh, at the time, honestly, one thought he'll never work on TV again. And Strange, now look. isn't it? Yeah, clearly not. Um, so yeah, you did brilliantly there. Yeah. So uh, four and a half in the main quiz, and um, let's see, you you got half a point for the who appeared most times on Top of the Pops. You got the old grey whistle test and i think you got half a point for the tube because you kind of were talking about it earlier about the kind of um i i i proved my way there didn't i really i suspect other people beat me amongst the listeners but i'm happy with that that's nice and and i enjoy the effort that you go to and i've I've never really sung your praises on this properly so thank you for the effort that you go to to think these up each week and uh and and you know and, and your forbearance in my kind of occasional meanderings when i try and get there i appreciate it i think they're good you're very kind coming right up uh the renaissance of the personality disc jockey that's coming up right after sergio mendez and his brazil 66 very much enjoy that it's it's very short that version there are lots of different versions out there there's um an astro gilberto version that i really can't find in in a way that hasn't been terribly dance remixed for modern times but uh I, I i just find that very calming and very kind of uh i like the even though the words are wrong that that kind of you know that that sort of slightly taking the mickey out of itself i think that's a groovy little number um i i can use groovy in the sense <laughs> in this in the radio safe sense rather than the jules holland sense there um and that was uh, Sergio Mendes and and the six, whichever year it is this week as I always describe him because he had various different fans didn't he for different years but uh, Sergio Mendes and the 66 people and uh, Bim Bom 
I've always had a soft spot for Sergio Mendes and particularly his Brazil 66 because um, I, I, it's sort of, I love the name, first of all, because it had a sort of, you know, it just made me think of football. It just made me think of Brazil, 1966 yeah. World Cup, you know, Pele. But um, in the 1960s, uh, Sergio Mendes and his Brazil 66, they were always popping up as guests on light entertainment shows uh, here in England, like Morecambe and Wise and the Dick Emery show and so on. So always a cheery sound, old Sergio. Yeah. It's it's one of those anomalies of language that we still use the words disc jockey to mm-hmm. refer to people who host the playing of recorded music when obviously the overwhelming majority stopped actually playing discs decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, it was largely in the 1960s that DJs became famous. Um, famous as personalities who introduced records as pop music began to flourish, of course, mm-hmm. here in the UK. Radio DJs, it really came to prominence with the pirate radio ships in the 1960s because the BBC didn't really take pop music seriously until about 1967 and, and of course, the launch of BBC Radio 1. But from then on, the DJs became more and more of a reason uh, to listen because of their enthusiasm, jokes, charisma, proved to be almost as popular as the records they played. But Radio 1 here in the UK, BBC Radio 1, also proves to be a good example of ostentation and self-importance because those same DJs continued then onwards to see themselves as way more important than the music. And as their incomes and egos grew, they would spend much airtime talking about life on the farms they bought and the problems they incurred spending their vast salaries on sports cars and in nightclubs. So along comes a wind of change in Matthew Bannister, who got rid of Simon Bates, Paul Burnett, Bruno, Trevor Brooks, and God help us, Dave Lee Travis, mm-hmm. bringing in people who had character but had more of a passion for the music. Now, in 2020, Jules, what do you want from a radio disc jockey? A big personality telling you all about their acres at home, or someone whose passion is to play great music? Well, I think as regular listeners know, my radio station of choice is Six Music, which I very much enjoyed. I was a listener of pretty much from the very beginning, I think. I remember being bought a digital radio for whatever it birthday it was before I went off to law college in 2005. And I used to switch between Six Music and XFM, uh, depending on sort of who was on one. And I always enjoyed Six Music because Six Music seemed to get the balance right between having... Some of their disc jockeys, jockeys had done things in, in other parts of their life. So Phil Jupiter used to present The Breakfast Show, for example, mm. but was also very interested in music. Um, they had a, a, a Vic McGlynn, who I still very much miss, actually, who was very funny, who was had been a stand-up. They seemed to get the mix right between presenters that were presenters and presenters that were passionate about music. But because it is a station that's aimed at people that are interested in slightly more alternative music, there was a bit of an outcry when, do you remember George Lamb? Oh, um, He was like an even more era. He was like Russell Brand without any talent, which is pretty boggling. Disastrous. Yeah, his his, uh, catchphrase of Shabba in the middle of Six Music was a a complete nightmare. And there were so many complaints about him because he was almost like the radio. Some of the radio ones, he was not interested in music. He was Mm. very, he was, he was very personality and it didn't suit the station. I think it depends what you're trying to achieve with the station, really. So, so he was then replaced i believe if i remember correctly by lauren laverne who went on to be who was poached from xfm who went on to be the face of six music she is my favorite broadcaster at the moment she's someone who 
is a personality in the sense that music fans that listen to that station will of course remember her in Knicky, which is how she first came to prominence. But since then, she has built a broadcasting career on radio and television as well, although mostly radio, it has to be said. And where she works well for me is that she's a mix of, I'm not saying I want it all, but I like bits of both. So she has, she is funny. She's very quick-witted. She's very funny. She's incredibly warm and has one of the people that has come out of this pandemic with her stock very much higher because she has an excellent emotional ear. So she's so she's doing well. She did very well at you know sort of dealing with it with contributions, knowing how much to take from people emotionally and how much not to. But also is clearly very passionate about music. And when she talks about things that she's picked. I do feel it is her and the music is very different to how it was when a different presenter, Sean Coveney, presented that breakfast show before her. You hear much more in terms of just in terms of women, in terms of sort of uh, people of colour. You know, I, I, I really enjoy I do feel that that is her show. Um, so I like presenters that have a personality as well as being passionate about music. But if I, if presenters are playing music, I do like them to have some kind of interaction with it, I must admit. And I think that I, I, I love Popmaster on Radio 2. I think Ken Bruce is great at it. And actually, again, I've warmed to him. I wasn't a huge fan, but I've warmed to him because he's quite good at, you know, his interaction with people. The people that ring in, he's really good with them. He knows what questions to ask and is sympathetic where people are furloughed. And he's, and he, I know, I think he's come across well. But I hate the music on his show because it's just, A, because it's wallpaper, and B, because he just doesn't seem to take much interest in it. Yet, weirdly, when he does the, I mean, you don't know what he's being fed in his ear, but when he does Pop Master, he does tend to have some kind of knowledge of pop music. And you do think, oh, I wish you were putting, if that is true, and it's not just a producer shouting in your ear, he makes it sound fairly natural. I wish he was putting more of his knowledge of music and his kind of enthusiasm for it into into the presenting really i i if i'm listening to music radio i want the presenter to have some kind of interaction with the music if i just wanted a presenter that talked i would listen to talk radio which i sometimes do i listen to radio four you know a bit of five live that sort of thing those are where i think people that are just talking should be i i think i get that you might, might want to talk about yourself sometimes but when you start talking about yourself to the point where there is no interest in the music i stopped listening to chris evans on radio too this was before mm. lauren laverne was doing the breakfast show on six and became my kind of listening but because i found him going on more and more this exact thing that you say all you ever heard about was chris evans's pub chris evans's collection of classic cars chris evans's wife and kids you know all that kind of stuff and you know i get that you know hooray for you that you've got a happy life but it was it was i found it to be very self-involved in a way that his broadcasting had always been a bit, but he'd always managed to find a better way through it. And the thing that put the tin on it for me was that you had that going on. And then there'd be certain weeks where the music would be noticeably better. Like, you know, you think, oh, I really like all this. You know, usually it's just kind of fine, but this is really great. And then inevitably halfway through that show, he'd go, oh, and thanks to Phil, who's producing for us this week. And you think, God, you really have no interaction with this at all, do you? It is the, if, it, if the music changes when the producer changes, that's the producer that's doing it, isn't it? It's not you. And I get that, you know, radio shows have producers and, you know, I'm, you know, I do these funny little Tim Pop shows in my house where I am everyone, but I get that that is not how people in professional radio, mm radio work i get that it's it's a good thing to have a producer and and, and you know production stuff and that side but even for all that he gets criticized and for all we actually initially criticized him when he was appointed rylan on radio 2 when mm. he takes 
mm. has a, he plays music that is his sort of music and he will say things like oh this is a new track that i really like at the moment and when he talks you think actually i believe this i believe that you do like it and he played a record by rasheen murphy once one of her solo tunes formerly of maloko and he said at the end i love that for me rasheen murphy was the original lady gaga and i thought you're someone that knows about music mm. that is not a that is not a, an off the cuff that is that is not a sort of a comment that someone that didn't have any not level of knowledge or interest in music. I don't mind if people don't know things. I do want them to show an interest in the records that they're playing rather than I think with Chris Moyles, uh, apparently someone said recently the most the most often message they got, the most frequent message they got to their show was those three words, play a record because he would often go for 15 to 20 minutes without playing a record thinking he was great and and it felt sometimes like having to play records was a bit of an inconvenience to Chris Miles really and it's like fine if that's what you want to do go and join a talk station I listen to music radio because I want to hear music as well as a presenter so I guess my view is I'm happy for it to be a personality like Ryland for example as long as he shows some interest and interaction with the music that he's playing. You're talking about um, presenters, disc jockeys with little interest in music. It just reminded me, I hadn't thought of this for years, of a story John Peel told me once years and years ago. Um, Unlikely colleagues were Mm. John Peel and Dave Lee Travis yeah but they worked together on the BBC World Service no they didn't work together but they were both on the BBC World Service yeah and um so they got to know each other by that and um uh, Dave Lee Travis was holding a a, a party at his house and Mm. thought well I'll invite my World Service colleague um John Peel and John Peel went round there, and uh, it was all very lovely. And in, uh, in the house, he was sort yes. of wandering around, and he noticed that Dave Lee Travis didn't have any records at all in the house. So um, I remember him saying that he, you know, he was chatting to the DLT and said, "Well, you know, you, you've got no records. So you know, you, you've got them at studio somewhere." So he said, "Oh God, no! I don't want any records in here." And he remembered him saying, "All the dusting." Um, no, no, we don't want any records. <laughs> so he, he had no records. And I remember him saying that uh, and he said that. It was long before digital music. So oh, like yes, yes, yes. yes. And he it. said, um, if there's a, a record I particularly like, there aren't many, but if there is, I'll, um, I'll just tape it, tape it off the radio and play it for a while and then, um, you know, tape over it with the next one. So there was, a, you know, that was a, a, a DJ on primetime national mm. radio who uh, didn't actually own any records. But the, the, one of the things that brought this to mind was that how these things go around in circles. We were talking about how in the 60s and uh, Radio 1, beginning of Radio 1, big personalities, and then as you... As as you very well artfully explained how you probably need to have a sort of combination of both. You need to be yeah. able to chat and make the listener at ease, but you've also got to have that um, enthusiasm for music. And I was just thinking about how at Radio 1, they're going back to that original ethos because you have someone the person i was particularly thinking of and he's a very good broadcaster Hmm. is greg james yes he is good but yes they've driven him into being a personality by doing sort of stunts with him like oh he hasn't turned up for a show everybody's got to try and find him you know this is a mystery uh hunt you know hunt the hunt the dj and all this sort of thing Hmm. um and i think we're re-entering a phase a, a time span of the personality disc jockey because 
Now, if we want to hear just about any music in the in the world, um, and again, you sort of mentioned it there about the digital world. I mean, I could just go to Spotify or any other music provider and I don't need someone in between the tracks. But um, as with your radio shows and the ones you were you were talking about where, you know, you were sort of evangelizing for, um, there's still something attractive about someone with a warm personality playing music that they love and telling you why. So I think the modern DJ will die out if we just continue with the music tracks being chosen by software um, and and then the DJ voice tracking, uh, voice tracking the links, you know, that was and this is kind of thing. But I think, they, like you say, there will always be a space for a personality. So long as they don't start to believe that they are godlike heroes yes. and they just keep the music playing. I think that's it, and I agree. And actually, I think to go back to to labour my point a little bit on, I think that Radio One and Six Music are slightly different beasts. Mm. I would say initially, because actually, and particularly, Greg James, of course, now presents the Radio One Road, uh, the Radio One Breakfast Show, and I yeah. think the Breakfast Show has always been a bit of a thing that they always try and have. Kind of, it's always been a bit gimmicky, no matter who's doing it. Actually, so I think that. Um, I think that that to some extent you are expected to have a big personality on the breakfast show. And I think people at that time in the morning, particularly commuters, uh, the the chat thing does seem to be popular and they're having a bit of a laugh and the the sort of water cooler moment thing that people talk about when they're coming to work. I can can kind of understand. But I think the the reason why presenters like Lauren Laverne have seen their stock rise, I think, during this is that... I and certainly as I, I listen regularly to the shows on Six Music, I thought Craig Charles did a very good job of covering for Steve Lamack because it was really nice just to have someone there in between the music that could talk a bit about it, but just kind of understood you really. Craig Charles making me laugh a great deal when I was quite early on into lockdown when it was really dead, driving to take some stuff to my parents, and he was coasting on the day in the afternoon. He said, "Now they always teach you, you know, when you're DJing at prime time, that it's very important to uh, to give a time check so people know what's going on." here's my time check for you it's wednesday that's everything (laughs) at the moment and to have someone acknowledging how weird things were was really was really good i think and and lauren laverne doing a feature which actually they started before lockdown but it turned out to be very very appropriate they were doing something called it's business time uh, once a week where they were plugging listeners that had small businesses and of course that's become really big during lockdown and they're now doing it to try and you know sort of help keep people going so i think there is a place for emotional connection and and again, you know, people, uh, every presenter on, major presenter on stuff like Radio 2 as well, people like Joe Wiley saying that they've really felt that emotional connection with listeners during lockdown. So I think I think there is a place for presenters that can forge emotional bonds, you know, uh, uh, can be there for the nation as well as playing music. I'm, I'm not saying, like you said, that they have no personality, but you know they have to they have to be doing something that isn't gimmicky i think and i think it's funny how you know the the stump they happened after the brits and oh where's greg gone missing etc etc you know who's got greg it, 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 i feel that you know perhaps this this time has changed us all in many ways i feel that maybe that time has passed now and maybe maybe people want more from radio and people need more from radio and 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 you know maybe the seriousness of the time means that the age of the gimmick is over who knows yeah, it, 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 it feels and felt a bit childish, I think. I've got a problem with Public Image Limited. Oh, I thought you were going to say you've got a problem with your public image. I was going to say, why would you? <laughs> I see you as a very non um yes. embracing of change individual. 
Oh, absolutely, naturally, yeah. That's no problem with that, of course. You know, I'm, I'm seen as this suave, sophisticated person. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I've, I've got issues you haven't in that school. No, I've got a problem with Public Image Limited. Um, I don't know yet if Juliet has two. We'll yeah. find out after Fiat Lux. You've been reading my diary. You have taken my heart away. Now you know me inside out. You know my secrets That was my sanctuary That was my secret I need to hide things from you And now you know You've been reading my diary You have taken my heart away Now you know me inside out You know my secrets So now I'm lying open Brought to my knees by my own words What I write has really hurt you So show it around been one of my favorite singles from the 1980s lovely 80s 
synthy sound to that and i love the dreaminess of it all um, this mm. reached the grand heights of number 65 in the uk <laughs> in january 1984 fiat lux and secrets play the hits yeah no i really <laughs> like that That's, i came across it on a rough trade compilation some years ago and it's like you said there's a dreaminess about it that i really like anyone who saw the sex pistols live as i did on the never mind the bands tour Oh, nice. In 1977. I say saw them. We were <laughs> we were balanced on some furniture on the doorway to the hall at Brunel University. Uh, but um, sort of peering in uh, around the, the corner because they built some barricades outside to stop people trying to get in. Um, but uh, health and safety had no 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 face at all in 1977. But uh, that listening to and seeing as much as we could of that was enough to prove to anyone there that what they were experts in was making a noise to make your ears ring with John <laughs> Lydon shouting over the top with no musical skill whatsoever. Now, the Clash, the Buzzcocks, the Jam, they could all play and hold a melody. The Sex mm. Pistols couldn't. Now, then we move on. And the Sex Pistols collapse and John, John Lydon forms Public Image Limited, who came up with a terrific first single based on a great bass run by Jar Wobble mm. and a wonderful chiming guitar sound from Keith Levine. Lydon yells over the top of it, but it works. Mm. That was 1978. From then on, it's been the greatest case of the Emperor's New Clothes since Hans Christian Andersen. Mm. Foolishly buoyed, by the way, by that first single, I went out and bought the Metal Box album, yeah. which uh, continues to rust away in my in my metal <laughs> record collection. It literally is rusting to nothing. Um, I, I I seem to remember playing it, uh, playing one or two tracks of Metal Box back in mm -hmm. 1979, and then never bothering again. Because and every record since has been tuneless and more Leiden shouting and sneering. Jules, why do we give the time of day? to this bloke with awful views on almost everything mm -hmm. who has no musical talent whatsoever. Well, it's interesting you should say that, actually. So so a pu uh, Public Image are one of those bands who, like you say, um, I'm, not, I'm not hugely into in the sense that... Um, that I have listened to lots of their albums in details. I did, however, buy a Greatest Hits um, ages ago, which came out in 1986, which was called The Greatest Hits So Far. Um, I um, and and I, I did it have know, one song on it. Uh, I knew you were going to say, as my dad used to say, now that's a CD single if ever there was one. But um, but it had some. So when looking at how many songs I've been moved to put into my into my uh my sort of eye whatever it is mm. um the the um so i have five songs in my in my thing affairs which is death disco um memories flowers of romance rise and public image and that those that is my public image best of that i feel moved to have around me on the go i really I, I those songs i like very much for me public image went off the boil like you say, when it stopped the actual original lineup of Keith Levine and Jar Wobble and 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 John Lydon as a sort of a unit, I thought they operated together very well. I thought Jar Wobble's bass lines were always really interesting, and I love Keith Levine's kind of spidery guitar. That's been very influential, mm. I think, on various people, and I I love that. And actually, when it's when he's harnessed, I think John Lydon is very effective. Now you wouldn't say that he had a great singing voice but whatever he is i mean not most of them quite a lot of my favorite singers aren't classically great singers but the way that they communicate 
I, it appeals to me and I find it interesting and in some cases compelling. I wouldn't put John Lydon that far, but I certainly think when his talents are put, you know, when his communication is directed properly and the band behind him are really tight and it's really focused, I think that, that he does have a great power. That line that he delivered of anger is an energy. I think there there is something about that I find interesting. I find the fact that they do often quite uncompromising music after the sort of the, the tightness of the Rolling Stones not the wrong stone sex pistol songs mm. i you know I, I i find them maybe public image for me are one of those bands that i really want to like and i really approve of the idea of them and the idea that you know people that are very famous for one do, thing can go off and do things that are a bit more experimental but once it stopped being about the other two and kind of became the sort of the rolling john lyden show um like you i'm not hugely interested in that because i think that that john lyden's problems have kind of i say problems john lyden's i'm fortunate views on things his increasing his increasing sort of anger to no little purpose and increasingly sort of outlandish stunts like swearing on live tv for i'm a celebrity um the butter ads you know stuff like that i it's almost feels morrissey-esque in that increasingly you're having to separate the art from the artist which we've talked about before but sometimes it is more difficult to do if you see what i mean and also the art and you feel that they've got to that stage because having kind of left their bands and public image limited was meant to be a band but then it stopped being a band and became john lydon's backing band with whoever he could get in you feel that and, and again with morrissey and his backing band you feel that that they stopped being able to they stopped having people around them that would say no or i don't think that's a good idea and even if they did have those people they stopped being able to listen and they were soon managed out in favor of people that would so i don't I, I probably enjoy more public image singles than you do. And actually, weirdly, I had a kind of a, this is sacrilege to some people, I'm sure, I'm sorry, but I had a bit of a Bob, but sacrilege on two levels. Firstly, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to the view that Bob Dylan is a genuinely gifted songwriter whose work is best performed by other people. That's largely where I am most of the time on Bob Dylan, with some exceptions, but that's largely where I am. My favourite version of public image is by Danish Europop band Alphabet. Who did Thank a God it wasn't Bob Dylan. I thought for a moment no. that he was my, no. my favourite version. I was going to say I would, I would hear that. That would be that. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I'd give it a go. You know, I'd, I'd try it. But you um, never listen to a word <laughs> I said. Be much of a reach, would it? Really, a public <laughs> image belongs to me. But harmonica solo. But yeah, um, I the the alphabet version of public image. I might even have picked it previously on a podcast. I'll have a look through our archive, and if I haven't, I might pick it next week because it is kind of. Quite quite cheery day glow version and it's a good song and you know and i like it and and uh, flowers of romance i absolutely love by pil because it's got this real kind of um it's, it's, it's from 81 so then to the next album it's got this really great kind of tribal drumming on it and this lovely kind of mel- almost sort of eastern melodies in the background and him um, him doing his shouty thing over the top but it works because it is quite focused and quite harnessed so I, I, I think there's a little bit more to, to Public Image Limited than, than, than you found but I'm, I struggle to say that they are a great band because I think the problem is once it becomes a vehicle for one person if that person doesn't have a great amount of self-awareness um, and, and and self-reflection, I think, more importantly, then it can ultimately go down the tubes. One of the weirdest times of Lydon's peculiar career was when 
He was cast to play. <laughs> barely believe this. He was cast to play King Herod in Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> for a touring production in America in 2014. Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the tour was cancelled due to poor ticket sales. Funny that, um, yes. But uh, no, I wish him well. But I, oh, I just wish. Sorry. I just hope he could stop pretending to be a singer and also stop making <laughs> ill-considered and foolish pronouncements. But I, I, I think I hope in vain. And actually, there's an interesting tie-back, a call-back to a previous discussion. Somebody that did play King Herod in Jesus Christ Superstar over here, Chris Moyles. Did he really? Good he did, and was not bad, apparently. Had yeah. quite a good singing voice. Uh, it was one of those ones, I think it involved TV casting. Melanie C. from the Spice Girls was Mary Magdalene. <laughs> It was a very strange. I mean, it's, it was like Monkey Tennis with Chris Eubank, but actually, it sort of it worked. I thought it was quite good. Oh, well, I, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> Sorry to knock you flat with that. I, part of me thinks of Tim Minchin might have been involved as well. I, there was it was well, a genuine a, musician who who would bring something to it. I'm sure, but and actually, uh, to be fair, Mel C is a Mel C can sing. So yeah, but as Mary Magdalene, it just, <laughs> just made me laugh. It's, it, uh, yes, it, it's an unusual, it's an unusual combination, isn't it? It's like oh, maybe we'll have Christopher Biggins as Jesus. You know, it's a bit random, isn't it? Thank you very much for listening. It's great to uh, it's great to have you along. Yes, it is. Thank you ever so much for uh, continuing to be with us, really. And uh, and you know we'll keep doing this as long as we can keep doing it, really. So uh, so yeah, we will we will hope to be with you at all times. Now I may want to hear less of John Lydon, but I want to hear more from Juliet. So how may I do that, Jules? Well, that is very kind of you to say. I'm glad that I am at least less irritating than John Lydon. <laughs> I don't know how how high that bar is, but it is nice to be there. Well, Put it on your CV. <laughs> absolutely. It's at the top. So uh, ordinarily, I would be plugging my mixer shows that I've been doing every weekend during lockdown. Um, but... I've reached the point where I just would like a weekend off. I think I've, I, I'm a little bit tired, and I think like lots of people, are, it would just be nice to have some, to have a little bit of sort of space. So having done it for 14 weeks on the spin, wow. I'm uh, going to have a little bit of a weekend off. But if you would like to listen to previous shows, they're all up there. If you go on to Mixler and uh, search my Mixler is m i x l r dot com and search my name, which is Juliet Harris, um, you'll find my sort of channel. And if you click an option that says Show Reel, that has all the most all the shows that I've done during lockdown um the most recent is at the top and then you scroll down the smooth sailing shows and all but one i think of the saturday socials where it were where it failed to record for some reason so uh, so actually um you can listen to me even though i'm not doing anything new this weekend but i hope to be back next weekend if you missed last sunday's smooth sailing i'd recommend listening to that one because it was really super cool and laid back and well, that's kind of you to say and we did have bim bomb on it as well so if you've just enjoyed bim bomb then maybe maybe you might want to hear it again on that i don't know but yes it was a super it was a super mellow version particularly this weekend they all come out in slightly differently depending on what's going on but uh but no that's kind of you to say and it's been great fun doing them and i will continue to sort of come back and do them it's just i just need a, a weekend to kind of uh just to uh well obviously to go out and get drunk in many pubs but no yeah, you no know, in a glass visor no i will i, I would just be uh i will i probably need to clean my flat if i'm brutally frank <laughs> So so yes, I will I will take a couple of a couple of days off and then we'll be we'll be back next week. But I'm always grateful for this time for Plugorama. So thank you, Terence. Here's another track where Juliet set me a task of editing it to a radio friendly <laughs> version to play us out, Jules. 
I did, but as I said, you know, it, you can do it in the bleep of a, a bleep of a heartbeat because uh, there was a single bleep in this. It wasn't as sweary as uh, I did. I, what was the record that you told me off for the other week? You said, I know that track intimately, having spent many hours editing it. But I, I even sent you the time at which there was swear this week. So, so you know, I may have my thoughts, but uh, but that is for once, that is not one of them. Um, So I really like this tune. I, as a, I've had a few bands that I've kind of either come across during lockdown or have become you know more interested in and, and have more time to listen to them um i'm a big fan of the i was always a big fan of the beastie boys but there were certain songs of theirs and albums of theirs of which i was not hugely familiar with and um i i didn't know this it was um hot sauce committee part two is the album which i believe was probably their last album um be, 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 when they were sort of all still the original lineup was was still alive um Part one was originally planned for release, but in the end, they didn't bother releasing it. It was just part two. But um, but I was a, a, I love this album generally, and I think this is a, this is a great thing. There was one swear which Terence very kindly took out, so thank you for that. Uh, mostly just for the title of this, I think it's so great. Um, if you're going to have a band, you should call your song this. I think so. These are the Beastie Boys, and this is Nonstop Disco Power Pack. Well, Right to the 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>